So today we're talking to Daniel Morn, Sustainability Fellow for the Royal College of Psychiatrists. Hello, Daniel. Hello. So you're coming to the end of your two years uh, of your fellowship, and can you tell us a little bit about what you've been up to? Thanks, Toby. Well, I've been up to a few different things, actually. Uh, within the college, I've been uh, growing a network of professionals who are interested in sustainability, so that's mostly psychiatrists, but also OTs and nurses. We've been trying to sort of build a community of, of, of knowledge and experience of really what sustainable mental health care looks like. I've been writing um, some papers, both for the college and um, the Academy of Medical Royal Colleges. Um, I actually held a summit in, uh, in October last year f- at the college for um, the people on, on the network. And we had a good um, lot of people there, about 100, and we spent the day learning about sustainability and what it means for psychiatrists working in the field. So I've been up to a number of different things, really. That's great. I, and you talk a lot about... Um mixing with different people from the sort of multidisciplinary team essentially and you know how has that what does that mean what's that how's that helped you in the context of learning more about sustainability well i think that's a good question i think that um sustainability is is many different things when you look at it clinically sometimes it's prescribing medication so that might be a psychiatrist's responsibility but it's also about things like social prescribing where you might prescribe a, a community group um, that might do gardening or, or might do, I don't know, any sort of activity like art on prescription or something like that, where an OT or a nurse might be, be better suited to um, finding patients that sort of um, uh, sort of management plan or, or, or service. So I think when you think about sustainability, every, every member of the clinical team has their, has their role. I think particularly psychiatrists um, have a responsibility to think about whether they're overusing investigations, overusing tests, whether their um, patients that they're prescribing medications to are actually taking the medications, because mm-hmm. we know the uh, you know some of the average uh, non-concordance rates of, of people with severe mental illness are as much as fifty percent. Think about the cost and the carbon footprint of medications, um, and uh, about well. The carbon footprint of medication is about 20% of the entire mental health carbon footprint. If you think about half of them might be wasted, that's 10% of the carbon footprint of the whole of mental health care um, just going in the bin. So we've all got our part to play. Of course, yeah. And I suppose this plays into, I mean, you've, you've come out with a lot of evidence, I understand, over the last couple of years with regards to how we can start to try and cut waste. Um, how is this going to play into the future of sustainability and how, 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 are, we, how are things changing, um, do you feel? How do they need to change as we go forward? Well, sustainability is about looking at the financial cost, the environmental cost and the social cost of healthcare. Lots of us are already thinking about how to reduce the financial cost of care. In fact, we're all probably quite sick to death of, of having to cut the costs, aren't we? And that's, one, that's financial sustainability. But really, we don't know about environmental sustainability. That's one thing that needs to change. Mm-hmm. I'll go on to talk about that in a bit. But social sustainability really is, is very much in line with the recovery movement. If an individual clinician acts in a, a recovery way or, or, or looks at taking an, a recovery approach to managing their patients, i.e. using co-production 
so that's working with patients to come up with their own care plan and getting their own treatment objectives, which might be something like getting into housing, getting back into education, mm. getting back connected with their community. Very tre- different treatment goals to often the ones we as psychiatrists define, which are reduced symptoms and um, uh, perhaps taking their medication appropriately. So the recovery focus really leads an organisation to um, becoming socially sustainable. In fact, social sustainability really is best thought about by um, saying that an organisation has a responsibility to restore the social capital that has been lost through the process of mental illness. You think when somebody becomes unwell, they might lose housing, jobs, Mm. uh, connectedness, um, educational opportunities. And actually, it's a a mental health care organisation's responsibility to restore all those things to a person. That's really what social sustainability is about. But the forgotten element of sustainability, we're, so we're thinking, is, is environmental sustainability. We're thinking about costs, mm. and people, people understand about recovery and about social sustainability. What we don't know about is environmental sustainability. That needs to change. That's, that's interesting. And I mean, I think what interests me is how you can quantify, I suppose, sustainability mm. and that ability to quantify it. And I think... Um, as we move forward, how do you think we should be trying to assess how you know how effective sustainability yeah. projects are? Well, so we have good ways of doing cost effectiveness analysis, and that we are beginning to understand how to measure recovery, although perhaps we 're beginning there. What we don 't know is about how to measure environmental sustainability. The reason environmental sustainability is important is because both the WHO and the Lancet Commission have stated that climate change is potentially the largest threat to human health in the 21st century. Mm-hmm. And healthcare has a massive carbon footprint. In fact, it's the biggest in the public sector in the UK. The NHS has a carbon footprint that is larger than some European countries, some medium-sized European countries like Estonia or Slovenia. Mm. So we have to ask the question, why are we as healthcare organisations, as healthcare professionals, doing so much to contribute to what is potentially the largest threat to human health? In one sense, you know, we're trying to promote human health by our work, but our very work is undermining human health by... Uh, contributing to climate change. That's an ethical dilemma, I think, that we face. How do we measure that? Well, I am developing in my thesis a carbon calculator to work out how services can develop an understanding of their carbon footprint. What's interesting to note is that you might think that the most of the carbon footprint of the NHS is due to buildings' energy use. Why why can't we just um, use... um, more energy-efficient boilers, Mm. more energy-efficient lighting. Well, actually, the majority of the carbon footprint of the NHS is due to clinical factors, medication being the largest single component of that, followed by medical equipment, followed by clinically-related travel. Mm. Doctors need to become responsible for reducing the carbon footprint. Otherwise, we're not going to meet the Climate Change Act targets of a reduction of our carbon footprint by 80%, by 2050. So how do we do that? Well, we need to start looking at measuring the carbon footprint of medication, measuring the carbon footprint of travel, and measuring the carbon footprint of equipment, Mm. and the clinical space that we're using. So lots of the energy that goes into the clinical spaces that we use is is significant as well. Until we start having an awareness of that, and until that starts getting into our regular reporting requirements in the NHS, we're really, we're really not going to begin to reduce our carbon footprint. That's really important that we do that. 
That's, that's very interesting. I mean, can you give us any specific examples within your research, within the studies that you've been performing over the last couple of years, of how you know certain uh, certain projects or certain uh, um, services services exactly um, can help reduce your carbon footprint, for example, or okay, reduce yes. the burden on so here's, here's mental an exa- health services. Sorry, yeah, here's an example. One of the main things we do is prescribe in psychiatry. If we look at depot prescription, we look at flupenthixol decanoate. That's mm. the most commonly prescribed depot in the UK. If you look at uh, the frequency that we prescribe the depots, is about two weeks. Every two weeks we give a depot. If you look at the average um, dose of, of depot medication, it's upwards of about 60 milligrams every two weeks. Well, actually, there's not, there's not really much evidence to suggest that there's much benefit for patients over 50 milligrams every four weeks. Mm. Guidance suggests that we should reduce the dose and increase, oh, sorry, redu- reduce the frequency that depots are being given. And that can lead to significant carbon footprint savings of around the order of several, several thousand tonnes over the, over the country yeah. per year. That's really significant. If you look at all the travel associated, the medications wastage, the energy and, um, that's being used in the appointment, it's a very simple change to, to f- change pra- uh, prescribing practice according to best guidance and leads to a significant change. You might think it's simple, but it leads to a significant change. Mm-hmm. Another example is, is that of two services that I've analysed. One is that of um, a complex need study for people with personality disorder. And... What we found there is that although you, you need to, uh, the service itself takes up carbon and takes up money mm. um, in delivering the, the care, you find that their subsequent healthcare use reduces significantly enough to outweigh the, the investment mm. in cash and carbon that you've put into the service. So actually, by year three, you're saving um, about £1,000 per year uh, for each patient in reduced healthcare use, and you're saving... Um, well, I, I don't know how much it means to you, but you know, hundreds of kilograms of carbon mm. um, per patient per year, which is easily the equivalent of driving up and down from Land's End to John O'Groat several times in a standard car. And not forgetting the benefit it's having on the individual's mental Absolutely, health. Absolutely, well. yes. So we mustn't forget that, that our aim in sustainability is not to just reduce carbon, it's to provide the best patient care, but that is also... Um, cost-effective, environmentally responsible, and socially effective as well. Mm-hmm. It seems like a, a, there's an education um, sort of issue here. Of, of You've done an awful lot of work with regards to proving you know, the, the, the benefit of sustainable healthcare. Um, but uh, there's a big hurdle, which is, uh, finally, it's just getting other people involved. Is, is there anything on the horizon with regards to getting other healthcare practitioners involved in sustainable healthcare? Yes, well, I, I, I've, I launched a, uh, a Royal College occasional paper that was launched in, in March on NHS Sustainability Day called Sustainability in Psychiatry. Check it out. Mm-hmm. You can either read my blog on the college website, which can take you link to that, that, that paper, or you can look at it under the, under, po- under the policy section of the college website. And that really lays out what sustainability looks like in psychiatry. What do we need to be doing mm. differently to improve sustainability? And that really is following the principles of sustainable healthcare. Prevention, 
So we need to stop people getting unwell in the first place. Empowerment, we need to empower people to manage their own health if they do become unwell. Then right care, value care. That's If they do need care, we need to develop um, services that provide the right care and not too much care. And then lastly, carbon-efficient models of care. So I've, I've, uh, that's what the paper's about. And I'm actually developing a commissioning guidance with the Joint Commissioning Panel for Mental Health. And that's mm. going to be launched in October this year. And really, um, that commissioning guide is about enabling CCGs, so clinical commissioning groups, and health and wellbeing boards to understand how to begin to commission sustainably. In fact, uh, they're legally required to do so. Um, and uh, it's just about bringing their awareness to the subject, and not only looking at price, but looking at environmental and social costs um, of, of the services that they're, they're commissioning. So what I hope to do is, is um, we've got some CCGs signed up who are already interested and we're going to be working with them to really change the way that they think about services mm. so they begin to ask the right questions to service providers. Um, start asking questions about you know, how are we investing in prevention? How are we empowering patients to, to look after themselves better during periods that they are well, improving resilience? improving connectedness in the community, mm. having a shift from individual illness and intervention to community and health. How do we get that shift? And I think commissioning is the key in the modern, with the modern health reforms. Um, that, that's the place we really need to, to focus on. So that, that's the plan for the future. That's brilliant. Well, it sounds like it's a blossoming um, uh, subspecialty. <laughs> and, um, and that there's a there's a true future for sustainable healthcare. And thank you very much, Daniel, for talking to me today. It's been great to talk to you, Toby. Thanks.